Hey, if you're joining us for the first time or if you haven't been with us in a while, we have been going through the book of Daniel in a sermon series that I've titled Daniel, Remaining Faithful in the Faithless Generation. And for the person who hasn't yet received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I hope that our journey through the first six six chapters of this amazing book has really led you to a place where you're really considering uh, taking that step and making that decision. For those of you that are here and you've already given your life to Jesus, as your, you know, given your life to him as your Lord and Savior, I hope our time in the sermon series thus far has allowed you to fall more in love with God. I hope it's allowed you to desire and, and want a life that's more fully devoted uh, to him. And if you found this sermon series beneficial, you have to know that I have two really fantastic assistants that are really the brains behind this operation, and I got to give them some credit. So last June, I was consulting with them regarding what sermon series I should do uh, for the year, and as a result of their recommendation... We're in Daniel. So check out this video. This is of our conversation last June. Wardacoco family. I'm Isaiah. Uh, that's too bad. It's pretty funny. He's, well, he's yeah, just pause it, let it load, and we can give him credit at the end of the sermon if, if it loads. Um. Two Sundays ago, I've ta- I taught that, uh, you know, we're looking at prayer and we're focusing on prayer. We've been camped out in Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to spend that Sunday, or this Sunday there again. So this will be the third week, as far as my teaching, that we're going to be in Daniel 6. But I think there's more gold nuggets for us to mine out of this passage in regards to prayer. So we're going to focus there again. And last week, what we learned is that the key to Daniel's secret as to why he was so successful and why he was able to remain faithful in a very pagan culture in the city of Babylon was because he had this habit of prayer. He was, that's what he did. That was, it was so ingrained into his life. Prayer was a way of life for Daniel. That habit was behind all of his success. And last week we learned that Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and consistent. We learned that he used his body to engage his heart in prayer. We learned that Daniel prayed in a, a place that was where he could be alone and free from distractions. And I think we too need to have a prayer life that's marked by by these things, no doubt about it. We need to be disciplined and consistent with it. In other words, we need to have a plan, a prayer plan, and we need to stick with it. We need to use our body to engage our heart in prayer. So which, which, how do you have to position your body to engage your heart in prayer? For some people, it's walking. For some people, it's running. For some people, it's like myself right now, it's prayer journaling. For some people, it's raising their hands. For some people, like Daniel, it's getting on their knees and praying. And we also have to find the right space, right? Space matters. we got to find a space. You know, Daniel had the upper room that was 
a place where he could be alone and free from distractions. We need to have that as well. So last week, we focused on how Daniel put himself in a position to really engage with God and to hear from him. This morning, what I want to focus on is once Daniel had a prayer plan, and once he decided to stick with it, and once he found out what worked for him as far as engaging his heart through his, you know, his physical posture in prayer, and once he found out that you know, being on his knees is what works for him, and once he found a space to pray in that was free from distractions, what, was, what did he do then? So what did Daniel pray for? What did he say to God? What was the content of his prayer? So we're, we're going to look at how specifically Daniel prayed. And we're also going to look at the different parts that his prayers included. And I think we would do well to follow his example. So let me pray. And then we're going to read the scripture passage again that we read last week. We're going to read it again this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, it's amazing that we can even talk to you, that you, through what Jesus has done, what you have done, Jesus, on the cross, that we're able to have access to you and the Father and the Spirit. It is just an amazing uh, miracle that you have granted to us, and we're so thankful for it. And Lord, we confess, you know, this morning we often don't take advantage of the access that you have given us. Um, Lord, I pray that as we continue to look at Daniel's prayer life, that you would speak to us, that you would enlighten us, that you would help us to understand what we should include in our prayers as we commune with you. Lord, we know that it, your Holy Spirit has to open our hearts and our minds to receive what uh, you want to speak to us this morning. And I'm always amazed at how you can take a message and divide it up accordingly so that each person in the room gets what they need to get. And we are trusting that you'll take the few loaves of bread and the few fish that is this message and that you would nourish and feed the people that are here this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so Daniel 6, 10 through 16. Let me read it to you. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And remember, the writing that was signed was that if anybody prayed to a person or a god other than King Darius, the king of Babylon, in the next 30 days, they would be thrown into the lion's den. They'd be fed to the lions. So when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, 
that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statue which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. All right, so from this passage and also a couple other passages in the book of Daniel, here is what we find made up Daniel's prayer. So the content of Daniel's prayers included thanksgiving, supplication, Confession and repentance, adoration, and God's promises. Thanksgiving, supplication, confession and repentance, adoration, God's promises. Let's look at thanksgiving. Daniel's prayers included thanksgiving. So verse 10 tells us that Daniel gave thanks before his God. Isn't it amazing that Daniel's life is hanging in the balance and the first thing that Daniel does is not like, God, help, save me. He just, he starts thanking God. And here's why thanksgiving needs to be a part of our prayers. This is why it's so important. As we thank God for the things that he has done in the past, and as we thank God for the things that he's doing for us in the present, we start, what we do with our minds and our hearts is we start remembering his loving kindness towards us. We're recalling how good he's been to us. We're recalling how he brought us through past difficult circumstances when we're thanking him. We're remembering that, that, that time when we thought that there was no way we were going to make it through that one situation, but yet God was faithful and he got us through. He made a way. He parted the Red Sea. We're remembering how he brought people into our lives to help us. We're remembering how God used the mess for good. You see, thanksgiving, thanksgiving leads us to remember God's goodness towards us, which in turn, it gives us the courage and the God confidence to face our difficult circumstances that we are presently encountering. If in prayer, you're constantly thanking God for all the blessings that he has showered on you. If in prayer, you're constantly recounting all the ways in which he has performed miracles in your own life. If you're re remembering all the ways that he has met your needs. If you're constantly thanking him for the greatest sacrifice that he made for you to meet your greatest need. And that's rescue from sin and death. When difficulty and tragedy strikes... It will still be hard, it will still be difficult, but it will not utterly overwhelm you and destroy you. It'll actually <laughs> just make you stronger. And so I ask you this morning, do your prayers contain a large amount of thanksgiving so that your soul is being fortified by God's love for you? Daniel's prayers did. 
and no doubt including thanksgiving in his prayers, had a way of just bolstering Daniel's faith, fortifying his faith for the lion's den. Because God's goodness to him was in the forefront of his mind. And he didn't have to think about, he didn't have to go, I mean, he could re- just even remember Daniel chapter 2. You know, in da- Daniel chapter 2, you know, he was, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked king, was about to kill Daniel and, and some of his friends. And Daniel, he prays to God, and God reveals uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. So he's able to go and tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream and, and the interpretation, and it resulted in Daniel his life being spared and his friend's life being spared. I mean, you got to imagine that as he's offering thanksgiving to God, you know, that's a situation that he's recalling in his mind. And that's why I believe Daniel was able to walk into the lion's den confident. He was able to walk into the lion's den with boldness and courage because he really trusted that God was going to work on his behalf. Was Daniel afraid? Was he anxious? I'm sure he was. I mean, Daniel, he was was a human being like us. But check this out. There is nothing in Daniel that suggests, you know, in this chapter here, that Daniel was freaking out. There's nothing that suggests that. In fact, you know what this chapter tells us is that King Darius was the one freaking out in this chapter. It was Darius who was frantically trying to figure out how to save Daniel. Verse 14 says that Darius labored till the going down of the sun. Verse 18 tells us, in 19, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. That must have been his nightly routine. How would you have liked that? Musicians to lull you to sleep, that would be amazing. I would include a massage. If I ever become king, that's the plan. Bowl of ice cream before the massage. That's how I would roll. And it says, also, his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, right, because he's freaking out, and went in haste to the den of lions. Darius was freaking out, and he's not even the one in the lion's den, Daniel boldly, courageously walks into the lion's den, trusting God that God will deliver him through life or through death. Amazing. Thanksgiving and his prayers had a role in Daniel's strong, confident faith. Number two, Daniel's prayers included supplication. Verse 11 tells us that the men conspiring against Daniel... um, caught Daniel in the act of praying, and he was making supplication. That's what verse 11 tells us. In other words, supplication means, it's a churchy kind of word, it means, hey, I'm just asking God for what I need. I'm asking God for my daily bread, right? So Daniel, I'm sure, was asking God, I'm sure he was asking God, hey, Keep me out of the lion's den, or could you please get me through the lion's den? You know, Daniel was not afraid to ask God for what he needed, nor should we be. Daniel made 
big request of God. I mean, he's asking God to shut the mouths of hungry lions. That's a big, bold, hairy kind of prayer, right? Our prayers are often too small. They just are. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 combined with James 4, 2, I think provide us with some of the greatest encouragement for prayer. And I want to look at them with you because, man, we should be making supplication a regular part of our prayers. We should be asking big things from God, miracles from God. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Sometimes I really feel like giving my boys some stones, right? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Check this out. Jesus makes seven promises about prayer in this little passage here. Here are the promises. It will be given to you. You will find. The door will be opened to you. The asker receives, the seeker finds, the knocker gets an open door. The Father will give you good things. And then when you combine that with James 4.2, which says this, you do not have because you do not ask, we are crazy not to pray about everything because some of God's blessings only come when we ask. Who receives? The one that asks. Who finds? The one that seeks. Who has the door opened for them? The one who knocks. Who gets good things from the Father? The one who asks. Who doesn't have from the Father, according to James? The one who doesn't ask. Right? This means our choice whether or not to ask in has, it determines on some level what we receive from God. I wonder, and we sang it in the last hymn, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. I wonder what blessings we're missing out on because we simply are not asking God for what we need. God is promising to us that if we ask for something, he'll give us what we ask for or he'll give us something better. Not easier necessarily, but it'll be better. So ask God and believe his prayer promises. Pray big like Daniel. Ask God to do miracles like Daniel. Ask God to completely restore your broken marriage and tremendously make it better, better than it ever was before. Pray, ask for it. Ask God to heal your illness. Ask God to make you a powerhouse for his glory. Ask God to transform your wayward son or daughter. Ask God to part the Red Sea of your financial debt. Ask God to soften your bitter heart. Ask God to radically transform your heart so that it can express love and forgiveness 
to those that have deeply wounded and hurt you. Ask and then ask again. Seek and then seek again. Knock and then knock again. My mom asked and seeked and knocked for decades for my dad to come to Christ and to be part of a church. You see him here on Sunday mornings, right? Ask, seek, knock, persevere in prayer, ask for big impossible things, Daniel did. Number three, Daniel's prayers included confession and repentance. If you were to turn to Daniel chapter 9, you would find Daniel confessing to God that he and his fellow Jews were a train wreck, basically. That they had completely rebelled against God, that they had not been faithful to the faithful one. They had departed from God's precepts and his judgments, that they, have, that they had ignored God's prophets, that they had been completely and utterly unfaithful to their master and their maker. And then Daniel cries out in verse 19 of chapter 9, actually verse 18 and 19, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. That's a whole sermon right there. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's prayer life, it included confession. He regularly got alone with God in the upper room, and he prayed, Lord, search me and know me. Try me. See if there is any offensive way within me. I can't tell you how many apology texts I have sent to Mary after my morning time of prayer. I mean, like, it's just off the charts. And you know why? Because when we pray and we get alone before God, the Spirit, it deals with us. It does. It deals with us. It reveals our blind spots. It reveals what it's like for others to have to deal with us. Have you ever thought about that? What it's like to be on the other side of you? It reveals to us our pride. The Spirit reveals our idols as we get alone before God and we say, hey, search me and know me. It reveals our errors. It reveals our impatience, our irritability, our defensiveness, how critical we are of others. In prayer, God has a way of exposing our sin and leading us to repentance. You know, too often our prayers consist of asking God, you know, too often our prayers consist of supplication that consists of, hey, God, would you please help that person? I mean, they're, they're just an issue. They're a problem. Their heart isn't right. Would you just, I'm just praying for them, Lord, right? Change their heart. Help this person at work. Help me deal with this person at work. My spouse, change my spouse, right? Please help them to see how selfish they're being. But confession and repentance and prayer, it puts the focus on us, doesn't it? It causes us to look into the mirror 
with God's spirit, the directing what we see. And what it does is it helps us to see that we are a part of the problem. And, if, and, and oftentimes, we're the main problem. We desperately need a prayer life that includes confession and repentance because the sin in our hearts has to be unmasked and the power that it has over our lives need to be broken. And you know what? The more that God exposes the sin in our heart and the more he turns us away from it, the more joy we're going to have in our life for two reasons. First of all, we are going to experience freedom in areas that we were just in chains that we were just held captive, and it's, it's a joyful thing when you start to experience freedom in those areas that once held you captive. And secondly, why you're going to experience joy if you're constantly engaging in repentance and confession is because simultaneously, as you're being freed from these things that have you in chains, you are going to have a greater appreciation for the grace of God that he has shown you in Christ Because the more deeply you realize how sinful and flawed you are, what it does, it leads to this joy that, oh my goodness, as deeply and sinful, as deeply sinful as I am, God's grace is greater than that, and his love runs deeper than that. And that's why confession and repentance is such a fantastic thing to include in our prayers. You see, to walk in confession and repentance is not to walk in condemnation, but freedom Enjoy. I think often when people think of confession and repentance, they imagine going to a priest in a booth and it's this scary, dark, horrible thing. No, it's freedom and it's joy. Number four, Daniel's prayer life included adoration. If you were to turn back to Daniel 2, you would find Daniel praying this in verses 20 and 20, 20 through 22, chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. What is Daniel doing here? He's adoring God for who God is. That's what he's doing. That God is sovereign, right? That he's in control. He's in, he's in so much control that he even removes it, kings from their position and, and puts kings in their position. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient, right? He knows everything. He, knows, he sees everything. He understands everything. And he always knows what is best. Daniel, is, he's re- adoring God for that aspect of God. You see... When we spend time in, in our raising God for who he is, our anxiety and our stress and our worries and our fears start to dissipate. They do. Because when we are no longer honed in on the greatness of our problems, but we're honed in on the greatness of our God, it gives us a different perspective to, in regards to those problems. And that's why your prayers can't just be made of supplication. Because if your prayers only contain supplication, you're going to be constantly thinking about the problem that you're going through and how horrible it is and how needy you are. But 
If your mind shifts to adoration, your perspective on your problems will change. And mountains will look like hurdles. Challenges will become opportunities, and the impossible will seem possible. Does your prayer regularly consist of, do your prayers regularly consist of adoration? Right? That was key to, to King David, right? When he faced the giant. I think Max Lucado makes that point. That everybody else of the, you know, the Israelite army, they were focused on how big Goliath was. Not David. He was focused on how great and amazing his God was. And that was the difference. It'll be the difference for you in your life when you face Goliath-type problems. Number five, Daniel's prayer life included focusing on God's promises. I told you last week that I'd come back to the fact that Daniel prayed facing, on his knees, facing Jerusalem. Why did Daniel do this? Well, to understand why you need to know about King Solomon's prayer when this temple, years before Daniel, was dedicated by the Israelite people when Solomon was king. Solomon, in that prayer at the dedication of the temple, he anticipated this day when God's people would sin so greatly against the Lord that they would be taken captive into a foreign land, removed, deported from the promised land because of their sin. And in Solomon's prayer, he asked God that when that happened, that the Jewish people, if they would turn back to the Lord in the land of their enemies, and if they would pray toward the temple in the foreign land, you know, pray in the foreign land toward the temple in, back in Jerusalem, miles and miles and miles away, that if they would do that, that God would hear their prayers and show them favor in the eyes of their captors. So, Daniel, what's he doing? He is praying on his knees facing Jerusalem because he, I believe, is hanging on to the promises of God. He's hanging on to what the prophet Jeremiah spoke and that Daniel would have known this, that one day God would bring the Jewish people back to the promised land. Daniel is counting on that. He's trusting in that. He's hanging on that promise in prayer. And it's giving him strength to get through this horrible situation that he's in. Like Daniel, we've got to hang on to God's promises in prayer. Last night, 8.30, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling discouraged. And I feel done. You ever have those feelings? And I was, I had to th- think about my message this morning. Like, Shane, what are you doing? You need to pray. And so I prayed. And I was hanging on to God's promises. And I was thinking about God's promises as God just seemed to be speaking them into my heart. I have promised to never leave nor forsake you. My, wow, my thoughts about you are too numerous to count. I know, what you, I know what, when you stand up and when you sit down. I go before you and behind you. I hem you in. I'm working out all things for your good. Nothing can separate you from my love. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. 
When you don't know what to pray for, my spirit is interceding and praying for you. These momentary afflictions don't compare to the future glory. That I've prepared for you. If I did not spare my son, surely I will give you all things. Look at how I care for the lilies of the field. Look at how I care for the sparrows. Aren't you worth more than the birds of the air? How our prayers need to include the promises of God. So, when we consider that God commands us to pray, that he brings, that that our prayers bring his heart pleasure when we pray, and how much it benefits us to pray, we are foolish not to have a regular, consistent prayer life. Just thinking of who God is combined with the promises he makes to us, for those of us that ask That should give us so much motivation, encouragement, and encouragement to pray. I think John Piper said it best in regards to this. When you pause to consider, and I've quoted this before, but this is such a fantastic quote. i got to do it again. When you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong, and he can do all that he pleases, And that he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right. And that he is infinitely good so that that everything he does is perfectly good. And that he's infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good. And that he is infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised. When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitations of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. Which means that one of the great short-term tragedies in the church is how little inclination we have to pray. The greatest invitation in the world is extended to us and incomprehensibly we regularly turn away to other things. He goes on to say, oh, how much blessing we forfeit because we do not ask, we do not seek, we do not knock. Blessings for ourselves, blessing for our families, blessing for our church, blessings for our nation, blessings for our world. Now, don't you see, and I mentioned this last week, but I think it's worth repeating. Don't you see that Daniel won the battle over the lions, on his knees before he even got into the den. Daniel won the battle over the lions through prayer. And I want to repeat, you're going to win the battles in your life on your knees in prayer. You know, Daniel's story foreshadowed a greater Daniel. A Daniel that was to come. His name, of course, is Jesus. His lines then looked a bit differently, didn't it? It was in the form of a cross. You know, Daniel was spared of physical pain because, as verse 22 tells us in our chapter for today, Daniel 6, he was innocent before God and his accusers. And so he was spared the pain and the suffering of the lion's den. 
Well, Jesus, like Daniel, was blameless um, before his accusers, right? But unlike Daniel, Jesus experienced tremendous pain and suffering. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus became your sin, and he was punished for it in your place so that we might receive his righteousness through faith in him. He took on our sin, and in exchange, he gives us his perfect performance record when we place our faith in Jesus, the resurrected king. Have you received God's free gift of forgiveness and righteousness through the repentance of your sin and confession of your sin and belief in what Jesus has done? And do you know this? And this is so important. You know where Jesus won the battle over the cross? Long before he was on the cross. Not long before, but actually, yeah. Because when he was tempted in the wilderness, he won the battle there. But what I'm referring to right now, this isn't long before the cross, but it's before the cross. You know where Jesus won the battle over the cross? In the garden on his knees in prayer. That's where he won the battle over the cross. Because in prayer, on his knees, in the garden, just, you know, hours before he was about to be crucified, he is on his knees and he's literally sweating drops of blood because he's in so much anguish as he imagines the pain and suffering he's about to go through. And it was through prayers, he's crying out to God as he's offering his supplication That God brings Jesus to a place where he says, not my will, but your will be done. And the gospel of Luke tells us that an angel came and strengthened him. And from that point on, Jesus was unshakable. If you look at him going through his his arrest and his trial, unflappable. You couldn't move Jesus. You see, Jesus won the battle for the cross on his knees in prayer in the garden. Oh, how much blessing we forfeit because we do not ask, we do not seek, we do not knock. Blessing for ourselves, our families, our church, our nation, our world. How many battles and wars that we're defeated by because we're not fighting them on our knees. Think the video will play? Let's try it out. Hold on, it's... Pause it. Lord family. Pause it if you can. I'm Isaiah. He's Ewan. All right, so this is the question I asked these little guys as we were laying in our backyard last year, and I was trying to prepare my sermon series for the year. I asked them what sermon series I should do. So this is their response. Why he started with, we're the Cockrell family, I don't know, but let's, let's listen, even though it's upside down. Well, we'll tell you about some plans about full church the next day. I thought about Moses in the ark, but... Moses in the ark? Did you already teach that? I haven't taught Noah's, Noah in the ark. He haven't taught Noah's in the ark? Go ahead, Elijah. That's your idea for a sermon series? Even I thought um, Noah in the world, but he already teach that one, right, Dad? Yeah, the one... Uh, Jonah in the yeah yep Jonah in the well um and I got another I said um 
nose in the arc, and I think that's all my friends. I appreciate you sharing. Elijah's going to have a tour now. All right, Elijah, so what sermon series do you think I need to do? I think you do? should do Daniel. Okay. Yeah, me too. That's a really cool story. What What do you guys, Elijah, what do you like about the story of Daniel? Um, it's so interesting and, um, it's cool. So I think you should do the background of Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. Now it's my turn to talk, even about, <laughs> um, Daniel and the lion's den. Yeah. Um, it's cool the lions don't hold him. And why don't they? Because God. because God protects them. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine being in a pit with lions? Yeah. How scary that would be? Yes. But Daniel has a big God, right? Yeah. Who's even stronger than ferocious lions. Yeah. And he will protect us. Yep. Do you think the people need to know that lesson? Yes. Okay. Even me. Absolutely. Because you I'm... Being mean all real. You're what? Being mean all real. You're being mean? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you don't want to be mean. Now it's Elijah's turn. You, you, told, me a, you told me another sermon series I could do. What is Isaiah, it? remember? You were no. talking about the fruit. Oh, just feel it. Ooh. You, we could, he, he, he's doing fruit of spirit. Now it's Elijah's turn to talk. Any other ideas, Elijah? I think you should do fruit of the spirit and what I said earlier. Daniel, and why do you? Why would the fruit of the spirit be good for our people at Abundant Life? A sermon series on that, Elijah. It's because um, well, I think how we learn in Sunday school, I think it would be good for the people. I mean, like, like. How the fruits come together. I think you should put that in like a five-week sermon series. Okay. Yeah. Now, who taught you in Sunday school about the fruit of the spirit, Elijah? Brenda. Uh, she's a good, good job, teacher. Brenda. Pray real quick here. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to be together to learn from your word. We thank you for prayer and what a gift it is. Lord, help us to take advantage of it. Help us to be like Daniel so that we are fighting life's battles on our knees. Um, Lord, uh, help us. We need, we need your spirit to stay disciplined. Our flesh, our sinful nature wants nothing to do with you. It wants nothing to do with prayer, and that's why it's hard. Help us to overcome that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.